If you have your Bible, would you go ahead and would you turn with me in it to the last chapter of John, John 21. If you are in need of a Bible, there are some in the back there. Please feel free to grab one of those. Let that be one of our gifts to you today. If you're using a device this morning, if you're on your phone, we are using the ESV translation here. So if you change to that, you'll be able to follow along more easily. Well, it's kind of hard to believe, but we are in the final, the last and final Sunday of our series uh, in the Gospel of John. So Ronnie said, dude, I want you to wrap it. And I said, are you sure you want me to wrap it? And he's like, I want you to wrap it. All right, wrap it up. And so he may not ask me back after today. I don't know. Um, But I'm excited to dive into God's word this morning. Well, we ended off last week with these words from Jesus to Peter and they're words that started it all for every single true disciple of Jesus Christ. And the words are this, follow me. Now, instead of picking up from there and just moving on, I actually wanna go back again to part of our text from last week. So jump back in with me, if you would, to verse 15 of chapter 21 and we're gonna read all the way to the end. Chapter 21 of John, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord church. Praise be to God. Well, when I was six years old and I'm sure to my mother's great dismay, who's here this morning, my, uh, my dad got me my first dirt bike. And uh, it was this little Honda 50 with a steel gas tank, because that's how old I am now. And uh, it was painted cherry red. And I think I ripped up every single piece of our yard that my dad would let me just ripping around on that thing. And it didn't take me very long to get really comfortable on it, probably a little too comfortable. 
And so I decided that it had come time that I was going to learn how to ride a wheelie. Yeah, Casey Bond's shaking his head because he can feel it. He knows. And um, so I, I worked on that thing for hours, just trying to get that balance of getting that front wheel off the ground, getting enough throttle to ride that thing out. And I finally got it. And I decided that I could not wait to just show my dad what I had done. And so one day I was out riding in the front yard and he was out working. And I thought, now's the time. I'm gonna show him what's up. And so I popped that thing off the ground. I'm riding what feels like is this amazing wheelie that was probably about, you know, front wheels barely off the ground, it's barely going. And I come down and I look back to see if my dad had seen me, but he had actually stepped around the other side of the house and he was no longer there. And when I turn back in front out of nowhere, this tree just grew like in the middle of the yard and I ran straight into it and I broke all five toes in my ankle and my motocross days were over. Not really, my mom can tell you, it was like a week later, I was out on a cast, just ripping around on that thing still. When we take our focus off what's in front of us, when we lose sight of where we're going and we become distracted, it has really, really dangerous repercussions. Throughout the book of John and twice in our text alone this morning, we've seen these words from Jesus over and over. Follow me. Jesus wants to ensure that those are remaining the call of all faithful disciples, that we aren't becoming distracted, that we aren't taking our focus off of him or his call. So the question that I want us to think about this morning in light of this text is what does it mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus? There's three things that I want us to see this morning in our text, that following Jesus means we have a love for the person of Jesus, means we have a focus on the words of Jesus, and lastly, it means that we continue in the works of Jesus. We have a love for the person of Jesus, we have a focus on the words of Jesus, and it means that we continue in the works of Jesus. Now, before I go on any further, I want to be very, very clear that I am not talking about what it means to be saved by Jesus, I'm talking about what it means to live as somebody who has been. So in verse 15 through 19, you can join me again there. We see this call of having a love for the person of Jesus. I know that we went over this text last week, but I wanted to circle back because I actually want you to catch a couple things. As we see this interaction between Jesus and Peter in verse 15 through 19, it's not just about what we see Jesus do. Right? It's also about what we don't see Jesus do. Peter had failed pretty grievously. Right? He denied the Savior that he loved. It was the epitome of what we sang this morning in Come Thou Fount, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. But notice what Jesus doesn't do here. He doesn't go, Peter, hey, bud, you know, I'm, I'm actually really glad that, you know, we met up on this beach here because... That thing you did back there, that was, whew, that was something. And I, I've been wanting to talk to you because I know you're probably just, you're probably feeling so guilty and you're probably just feeling gutted about that. And I just want you to know it's, it's all right. It's okay. I forgive you. I'll, I'll tell you what, you just, just go feed my lambs, all right? Just go tend my sheep, feed my sheep. That will be enough to just let me know that, you know, you, you feel sorry about this. Jesus loves Peter, and he knew that in spite of Peter's failings, that Peter 
loved him even as imperfectly as he did. He knows his heart. He knows our heart. And we see that in the text when Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus wasn't trying to figure out where Peter's at here. He's not just standing there thinking, I wonder if this guy's actually with me. Let me, let me test him. Now, when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He's not asking him so that Jesus can be assured of it. He's asking him so that Peter can be assured of it. Because Jesus doesn't want the work of the gospel, the commissioning that Peter is about to embark on to be from a place of constant guilt or it's just acts of penance, but works of love, love for Jesus. Some of us need to hear that this morning because if we have been saved by Christ and we are going around just trying to live good lives, serving in church, serving others from a place of guilt, just trying to make up for like some of our wrongdoings, we actually insult the love of Christ that was given to us at the cross where he paid for those wrongdoings. He paid for those sins, all of them. He doesn't, he doesn't need our help doing that, right? Jesus doesn't call us to lay down our life from a place of guilt. He calls us to lay down our life in love for him because he has given us that love. He has shown us that love at the cross where he laid down his life for us. And in John 15, 12, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone that lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. We need to understand that this love, it's not, it's not optional in the Christian life. It's a command. And if you're like me, you probably hear that word command and you go, uh, excuse me, sorry, Jesus. Like, stay in your lane, right? I'm good with you as savior. I'm good with you as comforter, but I think I will stay commander of my own life. Thank you very much. And we should be very, very careful not to reduce Jesus to just our comforter in life. Don't mishear me, right? He is that. He draws near to us in compassion and he comforts us with a ferocious love, but he is also commander. And if we don't have that balance, we turn him into some sort of self-help therapeutic mascot instead of who he actually is as savior and king. Notice what he doesn't do here. He doesn't just come alongside Peter, give his wounds a lick and then go, all right, just get back out there whenever you're ready, bud. He brings healing and restoration to Peter's wounds and he sends Peter back out to the life that he has called him to, to lay down his life in love for Jesus. And this is our call as well, church. And laying down your life is hard. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. No one understands that more than your savior. And he not only understands that, but he will be with you in it every step of the way as you follow in his steps. This is what Jesus is telling Peter here as he gives him a glimpse 
of what his life of serving him out of a love for him is going to result in, in verses 18 and 19. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, my guy, a little modern vernacular for you. What a ministry you are going to have, man. The money. Oh gosh, Peter, the money. It's just going to pour in. The house, it's going to be amazing. The, man, it's just going to be easy and chill times, bro. It's going to be great. It's this, Peter, your life is going to follow in my footsteps so closely. It's going to take you all the way to the same death that I died on a cross. Those words that I told you before, Peter, when I called you three years ago, take up your cross and follow me, they're going to take on a whole new meaning for you. And my father will get every ounce of glory for it. And you will be glorified with me through it. Not from your life of comfort, but from your life of suffering. Man, we, we don't like that, do we? And yet Romans 8, 17 tells us we are heirs with God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. We need to stop viewing suffering as just a possibility for us as Christians because scripture doesn't describe it as just a possibility, but as a necessity. And if our love for Christ and our Christianity is only as good as how comfortable our life is, there is a chance it is not a love for Christ or a Christianity that we actually have. And I say that in deep love for you, church, that we can't just have this expectation that it shouldn't be this hard. Otherwise, we will always see suffering as God punish, punishing us. And when life is just easy and good, or at least according to our standards, as God blessing us. And you need to hear me, that is counter-biblical. Jesus never promised us that if we just love him really well, this life will not be hard. He actually promises the exact opposite to those who love him really well. In John 16, he says, in this life, you will have trouble. He wants us to know that, but he also wants us to know that our life in this world will also not always be full of trouble because he has overcome this world. That's why we can take heart. Not because he called us to a life of comfort in this world, but because he has overcome the sinful and idolatrous comforts that we like to put our hope in in this world. And he is coming back for that world, for those who love him, for those who suffer with him. Now, Jesus, having just told Peter the type of death that he will die, tells Peter to follow him. And so apparently they start walking down the beach together as friends do. And what we see next, I find so interesting because Peter doesn't rebuttal. He doesn't, he doesn't argue. Interestingly enough, after everything they've just seen in Jesus' resurrection power, he doesn't even plead with him to save him from that, which is likely what I would have done. He does none of that. He just turns and he sees John and he goes, oh, great, okay, great. What about this bum, right? What's, what's gonna happen to him? You've told me what's gonna happen to me. What's gonna happen to John? Now, it would be easy for us to read this and we could just go, oh, here's Peter, just being Peter again, you know, just being kind of dumb old Peter. 
But I don't think we should be so quick to think that. I think there's, there's some of that, but I think what we are seeing is a more restored Peter than what we actually want to give him credit for. Peter loves the person of Jesus so much that he wants to ensure that his life is going to bring Jesus more glory than any other. It's as if here he is continuing to answer the question that Jesus asks in the beginning, which we almost forget, wasn't just Peter, do you love me? But was Peter, do you love me more than these? And who was there present when Jesus asked that question? The other disciples. I think Peter maybe had a misunderstanding of what Jesus was asking though, because it wasn't, Peter, do you love me more than John loves me or more than Thomas loves me or more than Nathaniel loves me? It was Peter, do you love me more than the comforts of your life and just going fishing with your buddies to just returning what's easy for you, what's most comfortable for you? Because if you do, and I know you do, then continue in the work that I've showed you and called you to. Feed my lambs, Peter. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. So when Peter sees John, he wants to ensure that even his death is going to show that he loves Jesus more than him. Now we see this was clearly not what Jesus meant because he quickly rebukes Peter. Right? Almost has to grab him by the face and go, Peter, focus. All right, don't worry about John. You will show me you love me by keeping your focus and your love on me, on what I've called you to. Don't get distracted, Peter. It's here we see our second point this morning. Following Jesus means we have a focus on Jesus, specifically on the words of Jesus. Jesus says to Peter in verse 22, you can put your eyes back there if you would with me. If it is my will that he remain, meaning John, until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. What we see here is that Peter apparently wasn't the only one who misunderstood Jesus' words. Now, I need you to track with me here because this is going to feel a little bit like the movie Inception minus Leonardo DiCaprio. And John is writing this gospel account nearly 50 years after Christ's ascension. I I want you to think about that. He is recording in detail Stories of Jesus' ministry that happened 50 years or more prior. That in itself is a testament of the Holy Spirit because I can't remember details about things happened last week. So how does he record all these with such detail? And why at the very end of the book would he choose to tell a story about something that was actually untrue? You see that, right? He takes this moment to clear up what was apparently a misconception about his own death. Why would he do that? Why would he end this way? I think we forget that these words, they were not just penned for us, but that they were first and foremost penned for the disciples of the time that they were written. 
See, John, like Peter did, had continued in the work that Jesus had called him to. He had made disciples. He started churches. He continued going about his life, sharing the gospel that had been entrusted to him, feeding the lambs, tending the sheep. And he can recount these stories and pen them with such detail because he had continued communicating them over and over and over for the last 50 years. And there is one specific account that he wants to bring some clarity to and for good reason. Because this account will soon bring validity to all of the rest for his disciples. John was nearing the end of his life when he penned this gospel account, dying somewhere between five to 10 years after he wrote this book. And apparently, as we see in the text, there was this rumor amongst other disciples that John was actually not going to die, but that Christ was going to return for him. And John wants to set the record straight because the assurance of his disciples is at stake. Because if they believe that Jesus said John was not going to die and then John dies, which he does, then what does that mean about everything else that they believe that John said Jesus did? Where does that leave them? John wants to ensure that the faith of those he has discipled remains grounded in the truth of Jesus' words. And so he sets the record straight. And then in verse 24, we see something that almost feels off. John speaks in third person pretty regularly throughout this book, but it would be pretty odd to speak in third person as a way to bring verification to the truths that you are proclaiming. Feels a little salesman-y, right? Like car salesman, like, no, 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 my word's good. You can trust me, I promise. It's good, it's gonna run. So what's going on here? Well, Clement, or Clement, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, from, of Alexandria, who was born in 150 AD and was a theologian of the early church, he wrote to suggest that John's followers are not just being written to here, but that they actually wrote verse 24. Clement suggests that verse 24 was actually added in later years after John's death and that this was them affirming all these accounts from John based on the fact that they had now seen John's death, which he wrote about here, come true. And so they write in verse 24 that this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. Now, whether that is the case or this is John writing in third person doesn't change how this account shows us why it's so important as a follower of Jesus to have a focus on the words of Jesus. Because not taking the time to actually understand his words, it can be detrimental to the faith and to the assurance of others. I mean, they were so close. You guys realize how close they are? This whole rumor came from the misunderstanding of one word. One word. And it's not even a long one. If, if it is my will that he is to remain until I come, what is that to you? And they somehow changed it to, it is my will that he is to remain until I come. And I'd love to say that that just doesn't happen anymore with Jesus' words, but it does. And it's why it's so important for us to examine and to focus and to reflect on the word of God, not just taking mine or Jeff's or Mark's or Pastor Ronnie's word for it. I don't think I need to convince any of 
you of this? We are just men. Very, very imperfect men who are doing our best to preach God's word as faithfully as we know how to. But we say things wrong. And it is only by God's grace and his Holy Spirit in us that we ever say anything right. Examine everything through God's word, church. It's what it means to follow Jesus, which is why he prays to the Father in his high priestly prayer in John 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word, God, is truth. So following Jesus means we have a love for the person of Jesus, means we have a focus on the words of Jesus, and lastly, it means that we continue in the works of Jesus. And this is where we'll end our time together. John ends this book with these words in verse 25. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is not just hyperbole from John. We should not read this as John just going, oh look, there I'm gonna go, just exaggerating about Jesus again. This is John ending with an understanding of the eternal and the divine nature of Jesus. Knowing that Christ's work goes so far beyond just what he has seen him do in his earthly ministry. I mean, did we forget how John starts this book in chapter one? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made, made. John sets up this book, letting us know that Jesus' work extend to eternity past. And he ends letting us know it will extend into eternity future. He will continue his work through all those that he has called to himself. Turn back quickly with me to John chapter 20, verse 30. It's just a page back. Because I want to connect where John ends this book with what he writes as the purpose of this book. John 20, 30 says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And unfortunately, that's where many of us stop. But that's not where John stops. He goes on, he says that by believing you may have what? Life. Life in his name. He doesn't just mean a future life, you know, someday, eventually, but life now. And this life, this life has a purpose, a purpose to continue in the works of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who, what, live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Following Jesus means continuing to live out the works of Jesus in this new life that he has given. 
the work of making disciples by proclaiming and living his gospel. And this is what Jesus tells us and his disciples will happen when we do that. In John 12, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. How can Jesus say that? Greater works than him will we do? What? Like, I don't think any of our deaths is going to usher in salvation to the world. It's not. I'm telling you that. But what Jesus is saying is that the number of those that will come to believe in him and his gospel will exceed those who had done so during his own earthly ministry. And it will happen through the continued work of all faithful disciples who proclaim it. Do you realize that every single one of us who has been saved by Christ is because someone else continued in the faithful call of Christ? in the work of disciple making. That we heard his gospel and we responded through faith and repentance, an event that was predestined to take place in Christ before the very foundation of the world. That's Ephesians 1. Because someone took up the call and proclaimed the gospel through their words and their life. And do you also realize that now your life is a testament of Christ's work of redemption in which he has called you to continue out that same work. This is not just a way, church. This is the way. This is Christ's way. As most of you know, we, uh, we put a pause on our pathway groups this fall. Our disciple-making ministries here at Substance. And it was because... We wanted to step back as an elder team, as those who will give an account to God about the care of his church. And we wanted to take seriously the call of the church and to make sure that we weren't sliding into a place of stagnation when it comes to the call of Christ, to follow after him and to go and make disciples. The call that we see in our text today and more specifically in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And as we prayed, as we studied, as we discussed, we have the extreme conviction that we have one mission as the church and it's to make disciple makers. That is the call. And we paused not because we were doing anything sinful for the last year and a half, but we saw that it was somewhat incomplete. Our mission for the last year and a half was to grow in Christ with community. And I want you to hear this. We want your growth in Christ. We want you in community with other believers. It's one of the reasons that we gather. But if that terminates in itself, we actually fail to carry out the mission of Christ to all believers, which is not just come in and grow with one another. It's to take that knowledge, that growth out 
and to make disciples. And so as we launch these ministries again in the coming weeks, I want you to have that mission in mind, that our mission is to go out and make disciple makers. I want to encourage you to get involved with that mindset that these ministries, they're not just something that we should see as just ways to feel more connected in the church, but that these are going to help equip us to live out the call that Christ has given to all of his disciples. And we believe that we will see the fruit of that in the years to come. Not because we're doing anything new or fancy, but because we are remaining faithful to the call of Christ. What could these next 10 years look like in our community, in Ashland and beyond, if we were all to commit to that work together? You know, we celebrated 10 years of God's faithfulness to substance this year. And the whole point of a celebration is to look back and to reflect on all that God has done and to stop and to thank God for his goodness, to rejoice in the good work and the memories that he has given us together. It's right and it's good that we do that, but I need you to hear me. Let us not just wax nostalgic, all right? Because the best days of the church, they are not behind us. They're always ahead of us. If we will lay down our lives in love for the person of Jesus, if we keep our focus on the words of Jesus, if we continue in the works of Jesus, what John says at the end of this gospel story will continue to ring true. The world itself would not be able to contain the books that would be written about the works of Jesus. This work that he is continuing to do in and through his church. So let us hear the call of Christ together, friends, because what he says to Peter is what he says to each of us who have been saved by him. You follow me. As we approach the communion table this morning, I would encourage you to take some time to examine your life to take seriously that call and to start by reflecting on these words that we see from Jesus to Peter. Do you love me? And for many of you, the answer to that question, it will be a resounding yes. It should not be a question of condemnation, but a confident reminder of the assurance that you have been given in Christ. Because if you can say what Peter says, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you, even if the degree of that love feels like it waxes and wanes like Peter's did, you can be assured it's because the gift of love was given to you by Christ himself. And you can take communion this morning in great joy, remembering and celebrating the life and the love that he has given to you through his broken body and his shed blood. And if the answer to that question is a no for you this morning, then I would actually encourage you to refrain from taking part in this symbol that is an act of obedience for all Christians celebrating and proclaiming that we do love Christ 
and that we are thankful for the sacrificial love shown for us. And I would ask you instead to take this time to reflect on some of the things that you have heard this morning, to consider the love of Christ and to hear the call to repentance of your sin and faith in him as your savior. Because our hope is that you would not only know of him, but that you would love him because of his sacrificial love shown for you. 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I'm gonna pray for us this morning. As I do, the band and the ushers, you can make your way forward. There are two stations in the front. There's one in the back there. And I would encourage you to grab communion this morning, grab a few others and take part in that together. All right, let's pray. Father, it is a weighty thing that you have called us to. This work of making disciples and teaching them to obey all that you have commanded. And it can feel daunting. But may we remember this morning that you don't just call us from a distance, but that in Christ you draw near to us as you did Peter. And you remind us of your love and you restore to us our love for you. Lord, you have not left us to figure this work out on our own, but you have given us your word, you have given us your spirit, and you have given us the gift of other believers to continue to encourage one another in this call. And for some of us this morning, this is a call to refocus our affection and our attention back to you, to be restored back to this call. For others, this is a call being given for the first time. And for both, we hear the same words from Jesus. You follow me. So would you lead us in that together, Father, for the continued expanse of your kingdom and your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.